Merry Christmas. Good to see you all here today. Uh, for those of you that didn't make our Christmas Eve service, I didn't make it either. So don't worry about it. No, uh, you missed out. I know you did, because I know I did, and Casey did. But uh, we, we had another appointment that day, and I, I won't say uh, where, but uh, it, it wasn't where I wanted to spend Christmas. It was, you know, not eating and being in another room of the house that I didn't like being in, but... Uh, our kids found a way through it. I think they opened the presents without us, I think. No, no, I, I, I was there when they opened them, and then I went to bed right afterwards. But uh, it was a little crazy Christmas in the Anderson household. Anybody else have a crazy Christmas? I'm the only one. Oh, Bob. Well, yes, Bob. Yes, Bob, you were at my house when it was happening. So Bob and Cheryl basically watched our kids while Casey and I were upstairs sleeping from illness. Thank you, Bob and Cheryl. Hey, uh, we're going to be passing out uh, a note sheet here in just a moment. Uh, if, if you've already got it. Matt, you're so good. It's just ridiculous. I, I thought you hadn't done it yet. And I have a couple questions for you right off the top. Take a few moments. Just spend a few minutes right now and answer these questions on your note sheet. Number one, what are you afraid of? Now, you might be thinking, what? No, really. I'm not asking children. I'm asking adults. What are you afraid of? Now, you might have uh, answers that relate to, you know, finances. You might have answers that relate to provision, your future, your health, your, your marriage. I don't know what they might be, but I want you to jot them down. Your eyes only. We're not going to ask what you're afraid of. And then a second question, follow it up with this. When you find yourself experiencing fear, I want you to write, just jot down a few notes. How do you deal with it? What are your go-to coping mechanisms. How do you cope with that fear? And a caveat here, holy answers are not required. I don't want to hear the holiest of answers here, folks. I want to hear the real raw when, when you're, you're, your back is against the wall and you're fearful and you're petrified and you're not thinking clearly. What are those coping mechanisms that you go toward that you try that you think might help you, but in the end, they really don't. So take a few minutes right now, where you're seated, right now, and answer these two questions. What are you afraid of? How do you cope with it? Some of you are looking at me like, I have no fear. <laughs> I think you're lying. What are you afraid of? How do you cope? Maybe unhealthy ways of coping. You may still be writing, and that's okay. Go right ahead. I want to share with you uh, my favorite Peanuts character. Here he is, Linus. I love Linus. I love Linus. Every year we uh, we watch the you know the Christmas movie, uh, the Christmas Peanuts movie, and uh, and and the, before that the Thanksgiving movie, and before that the Halloween movie. Um, the reason I have such an affinity for the Peanuts comic strip is because Charles Scholes uh, was a man who uh, lived in the city that I grew up in, Santa Rosa, California. 
And so I remember as a kid going to the Charles Scholl's uh, you know, museum and the Charles Scholl's ice rink. There was an ice rink named after him. And we would ice skate on a rink named after uh, the Peanuts uh, creator, the cartoonist. And I always loved uh, Linus. And of course, one of the most notable characteristics about Linus is that he's hardly ever without his blanket. Lucy may hate it, Snoopy may try to steal it, but somehow Linus always manages to keep that blanket tightly gripped in his left hand. What does Linus's blanket symbolize? Well, I'm not sure Mr. Charles Scholz ever commented on its significance, but few of us need much of an explanation. We all instinctively know that Linus's blanket represents the thing that calms Linus down from all of his fears and insecurities. When fear strikes, Linus lunges and grips tightly to his blanket. And Linus is not alone. Kids have things like this. In fact, my son has not one security blanket, he has two. He has a blue one like Linus and he has a yellow one. He's really happy I'm saying this, I'm quite sure of it. Bennett has two security blankets. Mallory, on the other hand, she goes for her thumb. She goes for that thumb for security. And lately, lately, she's been unable to part with something else which concerns me. It's a purse. And so I'm, I'm wondering if something in the future is coming, but I'm hoping that that's not a coping mechanism. Amelia, we are not sure yet. We, 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 we think that fear drives her to the pantry, but we're not sure yet. Uh, she, she loves to eat snacks, even when she's not afraid. Uh, she wants a snack, um, so I think she gets that from her grandfather, Bob Bob. Um, but in all seriousness, though, when, when kids get scared, they reach for something. And it's not just kids. Adults get scared too. We have security blankets that we lunge for. You've written down uh, some of your coping mechanisms. Is there anyone uh, brave enough to share perhaps one of the less than holy answers? Anyone brave enough to share one of their coping mechanisms? Oh, oh you will. You run. Okay, well that's not so unhealthy. That's a pretty good coping mechanism. Anyone else want to share their coping mechanism, Doug? Listen to music. All right, not so bad, not so bad. Very good. Ray, you nap. You know, that that's not a bad coping. If, if it's reasonable, that, that can be okay. But if it's too long, you know, it might, might get unhealthy there. Well, listen, I, I was thinking a little bit more on the, obviously all of you are very healthy in how you cope. Uh, but I was thinking a little bit more on the unhealthy side of things. As I said, some of us eat when we are fearful or scared or anxious. We overeat. Some of us shop. We, we, we just consume and consume and consume thinking that it'll somehow replace the hole that is developing in our heart. Some of us, when we're fearful or when we're anxious, we, we self-medicate or we drink. Or we smoke. Some of us, we, we just isolate ourselves from others when we're fearful 
from our friends. We, we keep meditating on the fear as, as the day is long. We fret and we fret and we never let it go. When fear strikes, Linus lunges for his blanket. When fear strikes, we all lunge for something. The title of this message from Psalm 91 is this, letting go of all fear. Letting go of all fear. In Psalm 91, the psalmist recognizes that we're human. He recognizes that we instinctively want to lunge for the blanket, for something that will help us cope in the midst of fear, a security blanket of some kind. The psalmist knows we're human. He knows we need to go for something when fear and anxiety hits. And so he offers an answer. And he gives us instruction on what to do when worry and fear grips our heart. He gives us a lesson on what to do when fear hits home. He says, when fear strikes... Immediately run to the secret place of the Most High. Stand with me as we read from Psalm 91, all of the chapter. Psalm 91, beginning in verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall dead at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, and shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, says the Lord, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high. Because he's known my name, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You may be seated. I'm preaching on one of my favorite psalms this morning. Once again, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist writes, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. We don't know who wrote Psalm 91. May have been Moses, most scholars estimate, possibly also David, possibly another. The author's unknown. Whoever he was, it seems to me that the richness of the imagery he describes could have only been written by someone who had been there himself. Read again the richness of verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Have you dwelt in the secret place of the Most High? Have you dwelt there? When was the last time you were there? Have you ever been there? How, have you ever experienced the Spirit's shadow covering you as the psalmist describes here? Make no mistake, the psalmist is describing a place that is beyond this material world. The psalmist is describing a place that your heart and your mind and your soul go to all while your physical body remains planted on this physical earth. Amidst the fears and worries of this physical life. He's not talking about leaving this earth and going to heaven. He's talking about staying on this earth and yet experiencing God's presence in such a powerful way that it can only be described as heavenly. Have you ever been there? Have you ever dwelt in the secret place of the Most High? Have you ever sensed the Spirit covering over you, abiding over you like a heavenly shadow? It is a state of being that is not as hard to find as, my, as some might think. We can find this place in our heart, mind, and soul in various ways. For some of us, we find it when we calm our heart and sit quietly and prayerfully before the Lord. For others, we find it when we open up His Word and pour over it slowly, thoughtfully, seeking guidance. For others, it is when we sit down with, with a pad and pen and when we write and journal as if writing to God, expressing how we're feeling, the questions that we have for Him, the struggles that we battle, the dreams that we hope for. For others, it's looking up at the mountains and at the skies and seeing God and finding Him in the secret place 
when we look upon his majestic creation. And for still others, it, it happens when we sing a certain song, maybe a handful of songs that are so meaningful to us that every time we hear the words or even hear the tune, we are immediately transfigured. When we immediately enter into the secret place of the Most High. I know for me, one of the, one of the places, one of the ways in which I think I enter the secret place of the Most High is a song based on Psalm 3.3, which says, Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. I had someone text me that uh, very scripture a while back when I was having a, a, a rough day. And this person had no idea that that psalm was my song. And once I read those words on a text message, I was immediately, immediately taken to the secret place of the Most High. Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. Have you entered the secret place of the Most High? Have you ever entered? It's time to go back there. The psalmist mentions some very good reasons why you and I need to go there daily. Take a look at verse 3. Psalm 91, verse 3. Surely he, is, he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his wings, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. There are many reasons, the psalmist says, why we need to seek out daily to be in the secret place of the Most High. Many reasons. For, for starters, he mentions perilous pestilence. You know, we think of things like disease, epidemics. We, we saw scares a, a while back of Ebola. I know that uh, Pastor Tom is scared of, of the norovirus. That's what he thinks I had. I don't know. So he won't touch, Pastor Tom won't touch me for the next few weeks, he told me, because he's so scared of this. And we, we are, we're scared of things. We're scared of disease. We're scared of, of the snare of the fowler. What's the snare of the fowler? It's a bird trap. How many traps lie before us today? We seem to be walking into trap after trap after trap as a people, as a nation. Any moment on a personal or on a national level, any moment our, 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 we have an uptick in our financial situation, we immediately spend money like drunken sailors. We don't think about saving. We don't think about putting it aside for a rainy day. One elder put it proverbially, you'll find a way to spend what you make. He said it with a shake of his head, frustrated that our society refuses to put away God's extra blessings. 
when we have extra blessings. We seem to be walking into, into traps, not just financial, but, but also just the way we look at the world. We spoke of this the last couple of weeks. We, we walk into the trap of supposing that the lens through which we view the world is only a political one. And when we identify ourselves more by, by a party or by a political position, more than by the person of Jesus Christ, who died for us and called us to live for him, to be his hands and feet to our neighbor, to the stranger, to the refugee, even to our enemies. When we identify ourselves less with him, our Lord, and more with someone or some party or some position, we're walking into a trap, a snare of the fowler. We seem to be walking into a trap when we embrace wholeheartedly and without any boundaries the new digital and virtual worlds that are before us without any thought of the consequences of them. Rates of depression skyrocketing with the rise of smartphones and tablets. Why? Ladies, might it be that every post on social media makes it appear that the lives of others is perfect and without flaw? Men, might it be that the websites we frequent are ones disposed to doom and gloom news? Or worse, websites that, that satisfy passing lusts only for a moment but leave lasting guilt for days and weeks? I'm convinced these are nothing but traps for the Christian man or woman who does not instill and, 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 and create strong, clear, definable boundaries. Without boundaries, they become nothing more than the tickling of our ears, the gratifying of our flesh. They lead to our demise. Just, just a couple days ago, I read a horrific story of a man in San Diego. He was texting on his phone. He walked off a cliff and fell to his death. Right on the beach in San Diego. A vivid imagery of the demise that we can experience when we wholesale embrace what the world is offering without any thought of boundaries, without any thought of the consequence of embracing such things. I qualified for the loan. Yes, but that loan is too much for you. They gave me a new smartphone. Yes, but what are you going to do with it? The snare of the fowler is alive and well. We fall into traps, into holes. We look up in fear, desperate for help, desperate for rescue. And the psalmist says, there is one who promises deliverance from these traps. If we make it our practice to go to the secret place of the Most High, surely he shall deliver you, verse 3, from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence, and notice how this deliverance is then described in verse 4. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. His feathers? His wings? 
Not exactly your average description of God, is it? What is the psalmist saying? He's saying that God is like a mother hen toward you. Have you ever been on the farm? You ever been on the farm and seen a mother hen with her chicks? It's a beautiful sight. All covered and huddled. You can see the fear in their eyes. They're so small, these chicks. And yet the mother is right there, ready to cover and to provide shelter. You look at those chicks and you you must say to yourself, this is how God desires to care for me. He yearns to protect me, to guard me. When I'm afraid or filled with worry, he wants to come alongside me, to gently place his wing over me, to remind me that I am his and that I have nothing to fear. God yearns to be like a mother hen to you. And Jesus, ironically, would say the exact same thing about the people of Jerusalem in Matthew 23. He said, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Matthew 23, 37. Notice how he says in that verse how unwilling they are to receive this kind of care from God. Jesus said, instead of receiving me, Jerusalem, you've resorted to other coping mechanisms. Namely, you've pushed me away. You've pushed away everyone who sought to help you in my name. In fact, so unwilling were you to receive remedy for your fears that you preferred to destroy God's help rather than to disrupt the status quo of your life. I, as a pastor, I am continually amazed by people, Christians, who prefer to wallow, who prefer to wallow in the same sins for years and years, who prefer and who choose to live the same way, succumbing to the same fears and anxieties day after day, and yet they never seek out the help that God so desperately wishes to give them. There is nothing, nothing that you struggle with that God cannot overcome. There is nothing, nothing that you fear that God cannot replace with overwhelming peace. If you don't believe that, the psalmist does. And you're out of step with God's word. He can overcome all things. He can remove all fears. Look at verse 5. Look at the confidence of the psalmist here. He says, You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand might fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. 
The psalmist believes nothing in this life can overtake you if you will but go to the secret place of the Most High. Nothing. Nothing can harm you there. He says that when you begin to fear or doubt, if you will go to the secret place of the Most High, he says that the Holy Spirit will then give you some new eyes. Some brand new eyes. The old eyes, just moments ago filled with fear, will be replaced with new eyes that interpret the same set of circumstances through a new divine lens. Only with your eyes shall you look and see this time the reward of the wicked. With your new eyes, instead of cowering in fear before people or circumstances that threaten you, you will be given new capacity to see those same people, to see those same circumstances as nothing but minor bumps on a long and glorious road of your ever-increasing perseverance, character, and hope. With your new eyes, you will see earthly threats that might appear to win for a moment. But then you'll remember that the enemy can only do that. He can only win for a moment. He can only win for a moment. And when you outlast that moment, when you outlast that moment, because your heart, mind, and soul were fixed in the secret place of the Most High, then you will know that while the enemy's reward is over, your reward in heaven just got that much richer. God promises you this protection. Verse 9, Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion, the cobra, the young lion, and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. When you make the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you. No plague shall come near you. You will always outlast those moments. God will protect and uphold you. He will give his angels charge over you. Those words in verse 11 and verse 12, words that you remember from the lips of Jesus who cited them to the devil during the temptation in the desert, those words from Psalm 91 really were meant for you too, not just for our Lord. He shall give his angels charge over you, the psalmist says, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Let there be no mistaking it. The idea of guardian angels is not a fantasy of Christendom. Its, con its concept is deeply connected to the scriptures. You have angels assigned to you. I'm not lying. I'm not telling you 
about Santa Claus. You have angels assigned to you. They're with you now. They're here in this room. They're assigned to your charge to keep you, to protect you, to guard you, and to think of all the moments where you have experienced hardship and pain and sorrow, and yet to think, how many more times did they completely shield me from it? How many more times did God's angels completely mitigate the damage that was to come to me? You have angels assigned to you who are tasked with protecting you from powerful earthly and demonic forces, lions and snakes. And I love how Psalm 91 closes. Typically, the psalmist speaks from his own perspective, from his own eyes, looking at the world, as he's done in verses 1 to 13. But he closes in verses 14 through 16. As he closes, the psalmist endeavors to speak as if he were looking from God's perspective. Read with me verse 14 to the end, as God now speaks directly to us. Because he, or you, have set his love upon me, Therefore, I, the Lord, will deliver him. I will set him on high because he's known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. One of the most frustrating things about preaching is the knowledge that while people generally hear everything that that you've said, they often walk away doing nothing differently. But here in verses 14 to 16, God assumes not only that you heard everything, God assumes that you've done something about it. Read it again. This time, more personally. God says, Because you have set your love upon me, therefore I will deliver you. I will set you on high because you've known my name. You shall call upon me and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you and honor you. With long life I will satisfy you and I will show you my salvation. Love me, God says. Know me, know my name. Call me, call upon me, and I will answer. Love me, know me, call me, I will answer. Love me, know me, call me, I will answer you. Stop resorting to old ways of coping with fear. Stop supposing that you cannot break these old cycles. Stop limiting what God can do. Love me, know me, call me, I will answer you. As you face fears, and you will, immediately run into the secret place of the Most High, and you will find there a loving, caring, warm, 
mother hen-like environment that immediately will calm your fears and give you new eyes to look upon the thing that threatens you. Immediately, the secret place of the Most High will transport you into a new way of living, a spirit-led way of living under the soft shadow of the Spirit's wing. Let go of all fears. Let Him in. I mentioned uh, at the start Linus's blanket. It uh, certainly was a security blanket for him. Of course, you all know uh, the Christmas uh, story of uh, the Peanuts uh, uh, show. I wanted to show you a, a very famous part of that uh, Christmas, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas story. This time, all I want you to do is watch the blanket. Watch the blanket. See what happens. Did you catch it? Linus, uh, never without his blanket, ever. He's never without his security blanket, never without his coping mechanism. Um, He began to recite the the Christmas story. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, and just at that moment, Linus, Linus drops his blanket and he says these words, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this sign shall be a sign, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Linus dropped the blanket at the moment he got to the words, Fear not. The coping mechanism was gone. He picked it up at the end as he went back to meet with Charlie Brown. But as he recited those scriptures, as he recited the words, fear not, and as he presumably was thinking about the significance of those words, Charles Scholes, who himself, I believe, was a believer, though some would contend, have contentions with that, Charles Scholes, in his wisdom, had Linus drop the blanket at just the right moment while he was meditating on the freedom from fear that we all have because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Friends, it is time to drop the blanket. The way you drop the blanket is to go to the secret place of the Most High. The way you go to the secret place of the Most High is to read his word, to sit quietly before him in prayer, to sing songs and and hymns and spiritual songs, to meditate day and night on the Lord. So when you are fearful, and you will be in the coming year, 
And as you think about how to make changes in the coming year, let this be one of your resolutions, that every time you face fear or anxiety, remind yourself, go straight to the secret place of the Most High. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us let go of all fears. You don't want us to live in fear. There are many things to be fearful about. There are perilous pestilence. There are snares of the fowler. Many traps are out there today, Lord. And it's sad when even your, your people, Lord, hook, line, and sinker buy into the lies of the world. We need boundaries. We need to be thoughtful. We need to surround ourselves with good Christian community here. But above all, Lord, when faced with those fears and anxieties, we need to go straight where the security really is, not to a security blanket, but to the secret place of the Most High. You are the Most High God, El Shaddai. You are mighty, you are powerful, yet you are warm and loving like a mother hen. We thank you for everything that you are and we purpose in this coming year to run under the shadow of your wing when fear and anxiety grips our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.